What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done by law, 6pm Tuesdays. You're tuning in to Done by Law at 3CR on 855am. Before we start our show tonight, we acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional and the rightful custodians of the land that we're broadcasting from. We pay our respects to elders and we acknowledge that this land was stolen and never ceded, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. So it is 6pm on the 21st of March and we're your hosts Dylan and Indy. Dylan, I'm really excited to talk about renters' rights tonight. Can you give us a bit of a background on who we're speaking with? Tonight we're joined by Irene Salidas Noyce. Irene uses she, they pronouns. The former secretary of RAHU, which stands for the Renters and Housing Union. Uh, Irene is also a financial counsellor at Mortgage Stress Victoria, which is a program of West Justice. Rahu is a member-run union comprised of renters, homeowners, and people in unstable housing. Rahu collectively organises for the right to safe and secure housing through self-advocacy, education, and eviction defence. Rahu was formed out of the COVID-19 rent strike movement and unionized in May 2020. So it's a relatively u- new uh, union. So as a way of, of a background about tonight's uh, discussion and interview, renters in Victoria and throughout Australia have been and are currently experiencing a rental and housing crisis. The availability of rental properties continues to shrink while rent prices continue to rise. This is causing financial stress, insecurity, and ultimately leads to homelessness. Before our interview tonight, Irene shared with us two reports produced by Rahu that reveal how the federal and the state government here in Victoria are failing to address the crisis. The current regulations relating to housing and residential tenancies are inadequate to protect renters and largely reinforce the power imbalance between renters and landlords. The inadequacies within the Residential Tenancies Act are coupled with severely low numbers of public housing stock and other problematic economic policies, such as negative gearing, which further drives housing insecurity and increases inflation. We're really excited to hear more more about Rahu's recommendations and how its community and union organising model can address the power imbalance between renters and landlords. Melbourne Jazz Jammers present the third Newport Jazz Festival. 50 bands, multiple venues and three days of great music from some of Melbourne's finest musicians, the 21st to the 23rd of April. Trad, swing, blues, big band, Latin, bossa, bebop and beyond. 
Get your tickets at the Newport Bowls Club box office, Market Street, Newport, or online at melbournejazzjammers.com.au. Let's get the party started at the friendliest festival in the West, Newport Jazz Festival, a 3CR supporter. Thanks again for joining us, Irene, um, and welcome to Done by Law. Thanks for having me, Dylan and Indy. It's great to be here. Yeah, thank you. Um, look, can you give us a little bit of history on the union? What is it? How did it start? Um, going back to basics for our listeners, please. Yeah, sure thing. So when the pandemic hit, we um, noticed as renters just generally, I think, across Australia that we were out of work for an unforeseeable amount of time and were pretty worried about how we would pay our rent. Um, we noticed that a number of other people were also, you know, sharing the same fears and concerns and um, a petition to strike on rent payments um, was started through the Industrial Workers of the World in March of 2020. Um, through that petition, more than 20,000 Australian uh, renters signed up um, to the strike and a lot of us just attempted to try and contact everybody across Australia who signed up um, to start organising locally around around um, how to keep each other protected and what our demands would, would be to make sure people could stay at home and could actually afford to stay at home. So that sort of set off some really intensive campaigning and organising um, and, you know, it saw the moratoriums that were introduced by most states within the first sort of month of our petition going live. Um, and it also, I think, had some kind of an influence on the increasing of um, payments, job seeker and job keeper. Over the next kind of few months, we um, stayed in touch with each other and, and met locally every month or every fortnight and organised local meetings. And, and through that process, each local group voted to unionise in May of that year. And, you know, looking back, we called a strike before we had a union, which I think was a really interesting experience for everybody. But in saying that, it, it was really, you know, one of those lightning moments that we managed to catch a spark of and and try our best to keep each other protected during, you know, one of the most challenging periods of our, our lives. So we've been, you know, continuing since then. We've, you know, built up our support teams and our delegates through our local branches, you know, organised collective campaigns, uh, predominantly around private tenancies, um, how to protect each other, how to share information with each other about, how to fight back for your rights, both as an individual and as, as a collective. Coming back to where we're at now, our membership is basically doubling every eight months. We've grown to well over a few thousand members now. I can't give exact numbers. And we have many local branches around Victoria, predominantly in the metropolitan area. We do have members in every state and territory in Australia. We're now sort of trying to make sure that people can set up their own local branches um, by meeting each other uh, in the union. That's incredible to hear. Yeah, my, my other question was, are there any kind of other examples across Australia that, you know, kind of inspired the model or was it like something that, you know, as a grassroots movement, you kind of decided to do yourselves? There was historical examples in Australia that were definitely influential. When we all first started getting together, we looked a lot at a couple of zines that were made from, you know, different periods, but a lot were 
focused around the, dep- the, the depression. So in the 1930s with the unemployed workers union forming that, I mean, there's a zine called Lock Out the Landlords that's brilliant. It, it actually talks about the strikes and the pickets and um, chaining up bailiffs yeah. <laughs> who came to evict um, people who had just been made unemployed through the depression. A lot of that influenced us in terms of what we were aiming for, how we could sort of provide certain tactics and certain ways of organising. Obviously, the landscape's very different now. There hadn't been many examples of a member-run organisation that wasn't specifically a legal service uh, in terms of the Australian landscape for a long time. So we looked more towards the um, organisers and tenant unions that we'd worked alongside through the rent strike in the US the UK. We were in very close communication with parts of um, South Africa. Lots of different areas around the world helped us decide what kind of model of union we wanted to kind of make. Since we've formed, there's been a number of of new organisations formed across Australia. And it's been really exciting to see the different unions that have formed and the different housing. I can't go without saying that Victoria had a tenants union originally in the 80s that came out of, you know, lots of lawyers getting together and providing legal services and support for tenants. Um, We know now that to be Tenants Victoria. um, And we want to make sure we can, you know, work alongside that model. However, we understand ourselves as being very different. Um, We're not a legal service. We're we're a a union of, of members who work with each other. Thanks so much for explaining that. And, you know, we'll come back to more about um, your organising and campaigning. In 2003, the American peace activist Rachel Corey was killed for opposing the demolition of Palestinian homes in the Gaza Strip. Join Free Palestine Melbourne and Students for Palestine Victoria for a public screening of Rachel, a film about her murder and its subsequent cover-up. Come and support the struggle for a free Palestine, Thursday the 23rd of March, 6.30pm at the Old Arts Lecture Theatre, University of Melbourne. Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. We're also hearing a lot about the impact um, of interest rate rises on on mortgage holders um, and not so much about how this is all impacting on on renters except for a very broad kind of uh, phrase, the rental crisis without, you know, many particulars about what that actually looks like. Could you explain to listeners what some of the issues that renters and and members of Rahu are are facing today? Yeah, for sure. I think it's a really good distinction you've made as well, Dylan, that by calling it just a rental crisis, it dehumanises who's actually affected. Um, And a lot of the narrative that's been made by the real estate industry itself really is there to serve uh, housing as a commodity rather than as a, a human right. Um, and it, it really does make us, it, it attempts to make us faceless. So I guess coming back to the the thought of interest rate rises, you know, in the work I do as a financial counsellor, there's definitely been more interest rate rises than there has been over the last five or six years. That said, rent increases have been occurring far earlier and at far higher rates. We know that um, in 2021, 
the first three months of that year, rent increase notices went up by 295%. And the ongoing effect has been that now rent has risen by 21%. That's median rent across the country as of January this year. So in terms of the I think there's a false narrative there that interest rate rises have had a flow on effect onto renters. It's attempting to kind of create this idea of trickle down isms. And, and it means that it furthers people like landlords and real estate agents to cover their tracks to say that, yeah, well, this is just the, the ongoing effect. But in actual fact, it's, um, it's not always equivalent. Like in the report that we've submitted to the cost of living Senate select committee a couple of weeks ago, some of our members who, who who work as economists have um, studied ABS data and found that after accounting for inflation, households which rent have experienced a 62% increase in housing costs over the past 25 years. And that's 51% greater than the increase experienced by households with mortgages. This means there's a lot of different factors coming into play here. Obviously, if you're renting, it's growingly more than a third of the population, but it's more likely to be younger people or people who are in insecure work, or people who are pensioners, particularly women over 55, because of that that sort of demographic overlay as well, there's more chance that you've got less income, you've got higher rent, and you've got less stability financially as well. So you've got less assets, you've got less super, you've got less like retirement sort of stuff saved up. If you've got a property and your mortgage and you've got a mortgage on that property, then sure, you're still feeling a bit of a pinch, particularly at the moment. But what security you have is far greater than the instability that renters are facing because at the end of the day, if you get kicked out of your rental property, you're more and more likely to fall into homelessness than than ever before. Have you experienced or seen racism against black followers? Report racism against First Nations people with Call It Out, an online register to expose racism. Stand up, be heard. Call it out. Go to callitout.com.au. A 3CR supporter. Just going in a bit of a different direction now. So the Residential Tenancies Act provides like options for renters to challenge rental increases, report breaches by landlords, request repairs, seek compensation, and so on. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, whether these laws really working for renters in the current landscape? Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's been really interesting to see the ways people have worked together in the union around the same issues. Most of the time in the last like year particularly, the main, the main issues people have come to us with have been rent increases, repairs, maintenance requests, um, and obviously, as always, eviction. Um the ways that we can organise together is not limited to just the legislation. I think there's a lot to be said for the fact that the tenancy laws have changed. There's some some good wins in, in there. I think it's important to remember that, it, you know, a lot of the issues we're faced with are actually in the lack of accountability and regulation of, of the real estate industry itself. The laws are there, but they're not being they're not being actually respected by agents, um, nor are they being uh, regulated um, effectively with the current regulating system that we have. So for the union, a lot of what we've ended up doing is sharing 
what's worked, um, sharing templates with each other, making sure that people are like supported in any correspondence they have with their agent or landlord, and also just making sure that we have our own backs. We have we can hold, you know, we can hold those agents accountable um, if they are going to try and challenge a rent. Uh, sorry, if they are going to send a rent increase notice. We know that um, some of our members took their case to VCAT quite recently and challenged a rent increase based on the only response being provided, which was um, market rate, comparable market rate. And they provided no workings out and it was literally like taking, you know, becoming a maths teacher at a high school and saying like, go back, write out your workings. Um, And the VCAT member decided that it wasn't enough of a response that, that and therefore that, that it, the notice of rent increase was invalid. Obviously, that doesn't resolve the situation. They're going to go back and do their actual work if they can and, like, send another notice, you know. So we don't believe that that's the resolution to stopping somebody being priced out of their house. Um, but we do know that the more we work together and the more that we share those kinds of stories and experiences the more the pressure we can put on agents um, to, to put them on notice and to say like there are a number of people who you're trying to do this with, but we're also quite aware that, you know, their best, um, their biggest threat is to lose that commission. So I think there's a lot of working out that we do around that as well um, that I think, you know, opens the doorway for us a bit more than it it just being a legal avenue, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that like uh, so many CLC workers and with, which is why the, the union in this space is so powerful because the law only goes so far and where we can campaign and organise to uh, like improve conditions in a way that's not necessarily always just dependent on like some legal avenue. It means that you're providing like wraparound support to a person's individual circumstance yeah that's really fantastic I think um I I read in one of those reports about the significantly low numbers of challenges to rental increases that were handled by consumer affairs if you could tell tell us a little bit more about that kind of avenue and how it is and isn't working and also about their rent increase and how, from what I understand, the rent increase is permitted as much as it is contained in the, the tenancy agreement. So there's no actual you know, external figure that it's tied to unless that figure is represented in the tenancy agreement. There's a couple of different methods that an agent or a landlord can provide as reason for increasing the rent. Our position in the union has been that we need to cap increases um, and they need to be tied to below CPI. But we also say that we need re- rents themselves capped and regulated to below median wage, to 30% or below median wage. So there are a number of methods that they can use to calculate a rent increase. It kind of gets them a doorway out at any given opportunity within the legislation as they're prone to do. In terms of consumer affairs, 76% of their inquiries and complaints are residential tenancy complaints every year. And in their last annual report, they investigated 86. Um, And that's out of, I think, 76,000 or thereabouts, I can't remember the exact number, Uh, 17,000, sorry. 
So I guess for some reason they're not being pursued um, and agents are getting away with it, you know, and, and that's all cases, all complaints. It's not just increased notices. We submitted um, after, you know, as part of our Rent is Too High campaign last year, we submitted all of our members' complaints that um, we were receiving over that campaign to Consumer Affairs and met with them to discuss those cases. Obviously, everybody that provided their story was happy for it to be completely, um, you know, identifiable. They wanted answers and they wanted things to be pursued. We haven't received a responses yet, but we had this commitment that they would be investigated individually and systemically. And the same, the same kind of problems were were being documented. You had agents turning up, leasing a property to people and telling them in, within the week of them moving in that they were about to put it on the market with them in it. They didn't care and that they'd be evicted as soon as they found someone. We've had people living with black mould for months and months on end, urgent repairs being unaddressed and then the tenants being pursued to pay for the maintenance out of their bond when they left. And it's getting to the point now where we can't provide people a legitimate avenue to get a a resolution and what would be fair for people. So I think for for what we're attempting to do here is to make sure that people have the information themselves directly and make sure they have a network of people who are in the same situation to collectively organise against those issues and make it known that, you know, it's just not good enough and we have our own leverage. But in terms of challenges themselves, the laws don't really put a ban on any challenge. That's why we're trying to set precedent on that. From what you've said, it's very clear that even with the immense changes that were made to the Residential Tenancies Act, Um, a few years ago that there's still a lot of work to be done. I mean, obviously a big part of this is that the the law in itself isn't the the only solution and that it requires, you you know, having power on the ground to to actually make wins for for renters. But in terms of the reports that you um, provided, could you explain a little bit more about those kind of policy changes there's some really interesting asks and demands in those reports around in terms of rental caps but could you take us through a bit some of those other demands sure thing so we've made recommendations at both the state and federal level I'll start with the federal level ones because that's the most recent submission we've made. We think that rent regulation needs to be a federal measure and that it's possible to legislate rent regulations that tie the national rent price index with the median wage index and for it to be below 30% and to limit rent increase notices to once in 12 months, much like Victoria has currently, but they to be tied below consumer price index. We also, you know, stand firmly with the Raise the Rate campaign to be above the Henderson poverty line at minimum and also see some measures that increase, you know, rent assistance and broaden CRA as well. We also have done a lot of work in trying to come up with some forms of stability of tenure because we know that increasingly people are living in places for six months or less and are being provided lease notices of three to six months. So we want to see the introduction of a federal and state funding agreement that incentivizes provision of long-term leases of five years, that limits rent increase notices to a maximum of 1% a year, and broadens provisions for renters to terminate leases with reasonable notice. Um, We actually have surveyed our membership for these recommendations, and the idea that people can have a place for longer than a year that's a locked-in tenancy 
that means they'd have stability to build a life over a five-year period is something that people have generally been really supportive of. As long as there's ways that people can get out of that tenancy if they want to, which we know already exists. We also want to see public housing funded, improved and expanded and through an, a national public housing agreement with all states and territories that matches the federal government investment two to one to incentivize funding new public builds and tying capital investment to supply outcomes rather than redevelopment projects, as we clearly know is occurring a lot in Victoria at the moment. And we want to see a commitment to a 10-year development plan that creates 24,000 new dwellings per year for 10 years that are public housing dwellings specifically and eventually see a rate of development that sees 10% of the housing supply to be public housing by 2050. We're aiming big here for a reason because we know it's being demolished as we speak. And lastly, a number of recommendations around economic reform at a federal level. We want to scrap negative gearing by 2028 and we want to commit that that $18.7 billion a year that's being lost in tax revenue a minimum of 50% of that saved to go into new public housing development. There's further recommendations around utilising vacant homes um, through a sort of grant scheme um, and a bond loan program for three-year leases that are rent capped as well. We know that there's more than 400,000 vacant properties in Victoria alone and there's got to be measures that the federal and state governments can get behind and provide bond loan schemes, much like we saw with... um, with leases, the H2H packages over the COVID pandemic. People need to be in those houses. They're sitting there rotting and people are literally making money out of them being vacant. So we want to see those measures put in place. So those like those policy, those sort of um, advocacy um, policy changes that you're talking about, fantastic. Um, apart from these policy changes around increased public housing, the commitment to a 10-year development plan, you know, um, and the economic reform that you're talking about. What What's the union organising? What are your campaigns currently or wanting to do in the future in relation to, say, challenging um, behaviour and unlawful conduct of landlords and real estate agents? What are your current campaigns there or what are you thinking about doing in that space? Um, and do you think some of these t- tactics in terms of, organising and campaigning in this space work. So you've talked a little bit about some of the policy changes that you want to see. Can you talk a little bit about, a little bit more about what we're wanting to see on a state level? Yeah, for sure. One thing that we've been working on is to develop a residential tenancies ombudsman. We'd really like to see an independent body where renters can go and actually um, report a complaint and, and see a process much like Um, ombudsmans that exist already. Um, We want to set it up so that it's similar to AFCA in that the industry is paying for the process itself because right now our bonds as renters are paying for VCAT and we'd we'd rather see um, an independent ombudsman created that has some sort of leverage over the industry by, you know, them having to pay for the complaint to be handled. So we're doing a bit of work in that space our position is that the residential tenancies ombudsman can cover any tenancy type um, and that, you know, it works alongside consumer affairs um, to, to handle the huge amount of, of complaints that would be coming through. Yeah, I would really love to see some kind of body that is funded by 
landlords and and I guess the real estate industry. That's a really amazing um, demand. I wish we could continue talking about um, Rahu and the work that you're doing. I mean, there's so much more that we could unpack, especially around the campaign side of things. And, you know, this is clearly a lot of work that can be done to to change um, renters' rights. And, you know, they're not just seen in a vacuum within, you know, one uh, tenancy law, but there's also so many other economic policies that feed into it. Um, so last question um, is where where can listeners join and how can they support your work at Rahu? The best question. <laughs> so we're really, really, really keen to have um, particularly folks who are passionate and, and motivated around um, their own situations but also helping each other as renters. You can join at rahu.org.au and we also have open um, info sessions in Maryback Council over the next few months. So definitely hit us up if you want to come along. Um, and, yeah, we definitely always, always appreciate any support that people want to give, whether it's through becoming a member, whether it's, you know, joining one of our working groups or even just providing feedback on our tenancy support team as well. Um, but, yeah, we, we have a few campaigns in the works, so stay tuned and, and definitely hit us up at rahu.org.au. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks, comrades. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Done By Law on 3CR on 855 AM with your hosts, Dylan and Indy. You can listen to our show on your radio, online, or where you get your podcasts from. Thanks for tuning in.